You are listening to Lone Star Community Radio on 104.5 KCZW LP Conroe and 106.1 KZCC LP Conroe. And worldwide on IRLoneStar.com. Good afternoon and welcome to the Legal Connection with Tony and Cheryl. Tony and I are two Texas licensed attorneys and we're here as a public service to just have a legal conversation with you every Tuesday from 12 to 1 p.m. on 104.5 and 106.1. Today, Tony and I are going to be talking about uh, getting your records into your trial. We call it the uh, Business record affidavit is how it's admitted into trial, so you can use it as evidence uh, to defend yourself or to prove your opponent wrong. And the reason this has been kind of important that it's come up is because um, I had a number of clients that had called me um, about getting their records expunged, just to clean up the record in general. Mm-hmm. And some of them did not qualify for an expunction. Right. Uh, in fact, I would say almost none of them did. <laughs> some of them had dismissals and they could, but... A lot of them did qualify for non-disclosures, but the ones that didn't qualify, we needed to go back a little further because they were really good people. There was no reason for the record to be marred by felony. Um, And I needed to find out why they um, had pled guilty to a felony or or, or, whatever it may have been. Uh, You know, there were different situations. And um, it got me looking at the, the, you know, one of your options is to get a writ or to get a pardon if you can if you know anybody, but right. to get a writ. And so that got me looking at their actual cases. And I realized in many of their cases, uh, they did have a chance to clean the record up and possibly uh, go forward to go get a writ to get their record cleaned because of the way that um, evidence was admitted that shouldn't have been admitted. And all in the their circ- trial? Yeah, and circumstances supported that. Well, not even the trial, a lot of them pled. But... Um, but but right. in the ones that did have a trial, mm-hmm. um, they had records admitted that shouldn't have been admitted, and that well, was, how did that happen? How did they get admitted if they shouldn't have been? Uh, because the trial court made an error mm-hmm. in admitting or not admitting, depending on, and again can both, go both ways because sometimes the evidence would be supportive of them being exonerated, and of course it's beyond reasonable doubt, and so it should have been admitted, and that's reversible error. Well, um, you know, by the time I came into the, the picture, they've already had their appeals, yeah. but none of them had done writs yet. And the writ of habeas corpus is an option um, to be able to, uh, for a, it's just another bite at the apple that a lot of people aren't familiar with. And I don't do them very often because they're not always, in fact, they're generally not successful, but sometimes they are that important that you go forward with, with everything. And, you, and details, the devil is in the details. It's always in the details. Now, a writ of habeas corpus, that means... Deliver the body? Yes, in Latin. But basically, it's just, um, in layman's terms, a way to get your felony reversed. Okay. <laughs> or, so- or your misdemeanor, for that matter. A lot of people, um, if they've got immigration issues, um, you know, they're here legally, but it may taint their ability to stay if they have even a misdemeanor that's a crime of moral turpitude. You know, even writing a bad check, and it may have been by mistake, is right. a crime of moral turpitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, theft, and so, so you get an attorney to write a writ and and of habeas corpus, and basically, what happens? Do they get a new hearing and they get to yes, go in yes, and, you and explain for, what? Well, happens. sometimes, if you like, you see on TV, they gets reversed completely. But um, uh, most of the time, it gets remanded so it goes back to trial. And depending on what the evidence is that you have, the prosecutors may not want to take it to trial. They're too busy for some of these small things, mm-hmm. um, and they'll negotiate something out with you. But um, if it's that critical to your livelihood to stay in America or to get the job that you want or to mm-hmm. keep the job that you have because it's kind of come out of the woodwork, whatever the case may be, then you have that option. And that's why this topic has come up today because it's um, it, w- it may turn on this particular type of exception of the hearsay rule. Uh, so it, it may turn on the actual evidence that was admitted uh, either properly or improperly. Right. Whether something should have been admitted or wasn't admitted, it may turn on that. And there's lots, and we learned this in law school, there's so many different ways that um, that hearsay is, there's an exception to it for it to come in, or it's not hearsay, and, you know, that whole, you know, a gambit of things that, uh, of legal strategy that you can use to mm-hmm. prevent things from coming in that should and shouldn't. And it happens all the time, and cases turn on this because 
the jury, the judge is not allowed to see something that is so critical and material to the case that they can't rely, they can't use it. Right. And that's that, that's, you know, like if someone, and the example is always going to be the person that was pressured into a confession. Right. You know, good example. All, so many times that, um, in the, it goes to the Supreme Court, people may be on death row, that they were pressured uh, into a confession that they would not have made, but for the duress that they were being put through by law enforcement mm-hmm. or wanting to keep their the, the bills down for their family or whatever it may mm-hmm. have been. Mm-hmm. And that needs to come back out. And these people are, I mean, I just read in the, the paper this weekend, of course, there's no papers anymore. It's the internet. Right. But um, I actually did buy a paper, though, mm. um, that a, a, a man was exonerated, um, you know, taken off of death row after 19 years uh, because of an improper confession. And it was, it was, they, they got a writ and they, you know, this went through the governor and I don't think it was Texas though, but, but anyway, the writ did save his life basically. Um, you know, I think that we need to do a different show on about pleas and confessions yeah. and how people do it. You know, the whole thought out there is, well, why would they confess if they're not guilty? People confess to things they didn't do for a, a, a number of reasons. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I always have to go back to the biblical that, you know, Jesus was crucified for something he didn't do. He didn't confess, but I don't think he actually denied it either. Mm-hmm. And that was the problem because he shouldn't have had to deny he was sent of God. And that kind of leads to why I'm wearing my Von Miller workout, authentic workout jersey that my beloved husband gave me. Yeah. Um, I'm wearing this jersey because um, it's the football season. And the Aggies had an amazing overtime win on Saturday against Kentucky. And um, I believe that we won because I was praying through uh, St. Sebastian, St. Jude, and uh, St. Mary to win. I don't think anybody, I don't think the other team was doing that. Okay. Otherwise, I don't think we would have won in overtime. Because, oh, okay. and, 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 and the reason I believe that to be the case is because of, and I'll show this to, the, to our people if they have, they're watching on the internet. See, there you go. Uh, this picture is, if you can see it, oh, I can barely see what I'm doing. Here you go. Um, this picture is, oh, I can see this way. Closer. <laughs> this is, this is Touchdown Jesus, okay? And it is um, actually the building that is, uh, the Basilica, the church that is on the Notre Dame campus. Mm-hmm. And Notre Dame is a sort of a knockoff Notre Dame from the one in Paris mm-hmm. that was built, you know, in the, you know, I guess, 19, 900s or, you know, Middle Ages or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, it's out in the middle of Indy. It's in Indiana. Now, mm-hmm. since when do a bunch of football players from Indiana become like, you know, top 10 and, you know, Heisman Trophy candidates? And how does, how do a bunch of, you know, farmers go out there and, and, and become so prolific in the football field. Good I believe it's because of touchdown Jesus. Oh, okay. Because they go to mass every, uh, before each game and after each game. And touchdown Jesus, is, he's actually got his hands up. And I'll show this again. Yeah, like he's doing like a Like he's doing a touchdown. Okay. And Notre Dame, I don't think has nearly the skill set that, um, and the ability that A&M does, but they win and they're, you know, always ranked because of, I think, touchdown Jesus, who always shows that, He's doing the, you know, the big touchdown for them. And um, I think, and the same thing with uh, Saban. Uh, Nick Saban goes to Mass. Um, he's a devout Catholic. He goes to Mass every Sunday. In fact, I didn't actually visit his church when we went to um, to Tuscaloosa uh, when Anna played Alabama a few weeks ago. But I did stalk him. I wanted to see him coming out. I wanted mm-hmm. to see if he had an entourage. But I noticed that I couldn't find him because everybody dresses just like him. There's oh, okay. there's Nick Saban decoys. Okay. And um, but he um, his team he's number one in America, mm-hmm. and I believe it's because he also prays to Saint Sebastian, Saint Jude, and Saint Mary. And we don't have enough of that LSU too. So um, I'm not giving away any secrets to Aggies fans because I know that primarily Aggie fans um, live in Montgomery County and listen to our show. So all Aggie fans uh, need to. Pray to St. Joseph and not St. Well, St. Joseph too, but but St. Sebastian is the patron saint of athletes. Uh, St. Jude, uh, patron saint of the impossible, and St. Mary. And I'm wearing, my, like I say, my my Von Miller jersey because I think that he probably, uh, he, I, I think if, if like you didn't know this, but he plays for the Denver Broncos and mm-hmm. is an amazing player. And um, I'm honored that that Jim was able to pick this this jersey for me. He got he won a, a lottery or. He won something where he now, got... Did he actually wear that jersey? Yes, this is actually Vaughn Miller's workout jersey that I'm wearing right now. That's and cool. And Jim got it because he went, uh, he won something, some kind of contest where he got to go down to the locker room. In 2007, I want to say, when Vaughn mm-hmm. Miller still played, 
and he got to pick something out of the workout room that he wanted, and he picked this jersey. And so I'm wearing this because it's football season because we won, like I'm going. I, I think it's touchdown Jesus that we need one too at right. a but we yeah. don't have one. Okay. But that all being said, um, uh, the, the, the readings this morning, I'm just going to have to throw this out here because it was kind of interesting to me. Um, St. Luke, the gospel was St. Luke, who was a Greek physician. Mm-hmm. We know this, mm-hmm. not, not unlike my husband. Um, who'd never met um, Jesus before he was crucified, and neither did St. Paul, and they were buddies. You know, they kind of went out together. Yeah. And um, the reading this morning was about um, Jesus visiting Martha and Mary because he was hungry, and he was just going to have a treat with them. Right. And uh, Martha was busting her you-know-what to get everything done, and then Mary was just kind of hanging out, socializing, and she's like, excuse me, but— Martha, uh, Martha was excuse me. But, yeah, yeah, Martha mm-hmm. was like, uh, excuse me, Jesus, uh, can you ask— uh, you know, lazy, you know what, Mary here to come help me get the food on the table. And Jesus's response was that, no, she's doing the right thing. She's mm-hmm. with me. She's spending her time wisely. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was like, what? I'd be the Martha. I'd be the one working, getting mm-hmm. it done, mm-hmm. wondering why my lazy friend, sister, wasn't helping. And um, he said that there's, you know, you should, basically, the, the, I think the lesson was, and maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong here, that when you have the opportunity to spend time with Jesus, you should. That's right. And you should go out to eat instead of, you know. Right. And right. Like they had restaurants back in the day, did they? Oh, probably. Uh, Jesus said she's chosen a better way, and she was actually sitting at his feet. So, yeah. I mean, prioritize. But when you're prioritizing, really prioritize. But Martha was doing the right thing, too. Well, you know. He was hungry. Yeah. I've sat in a lot of discussions where women talk about this, and they you know, they say, oh, yeah, that figure, she was sitting at his feet. I'd be <laughs> the one in the kitchen. Noser, that's right. Uh-huh. You know? But that's not what Jesus said. Yeah. He said that she's chosen a better way. And so we just kind of have to take it as that, that that is a better Only way. Only for Jesus, though. You can't get away with that if you are sitting around not helping with the dishes and you're going to say, well, Mary did it. Well, that's completely different. Yeah. <laughs> Being a lazy bone. He didn't say she's chosen a better way because she's lazy. Yes. Right. He said he's chosen a better way because she's, because she's only going to get a few moments to be with me, which goes to all of my friends and kids and people in college. When you say that you don't need to go to church on Sundays, remember, that is like you not going to your parents' house on Father's Day. Yeah. Because they, it's going to come back to bite you. You need to go because that's your time to spend with Jesus. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Okay. okay. Right. We heard it. You heard it here. <laughs> uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to pick up with a discussion on yes. the admissibility of records, business records admitted into your a case or your trial, and we will be right back after the break. Hey guys, this is Connor. This is Dick. This is Chris. And we're with the Ticket Stub Podcast every Thursday live at noon on 104.5 and 106.1 FM in the Conroe area. Also, anytime at IRLoneStar.com. You go to IRLoneStar.com backslash TTS. You can find all of our social media. And don't forget, we give away two tickets to the Grand Theater on every show. If you like movies and you like complaining or celebrating anything that has to do with the silver screen, check out the Ticket Stub podcast and join us every Thursday at noon o'clock on Lone Star Community Radio. Are you interested in learning more about preparing quick, healthy, and safe meals for your family? Would you like to spend time with others learning tips and tricks, along with practicing and tasting nutritious food? If so, the On the Road to Healthy Living Mobile Cooking School is for you. Call Amy Ressler at Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service at 936-539-7825 to find a class near you or volunteer to host a class. A Lone Star Community Radio is looking for those who are interested in hosting their own talk show with monthly and weekly slots available on Conroe's FM 104.5, 106.1, and on IRLoneStar.com. Start your own podcast, create your first YouTube channel, and be on TV. Contact Lone Star Community Radio online at IRLoneStar.com or call the station message line at 936 647 3776 to take your first step into the radio world. Welcome back to the Legal Connection with Tony and Cheryl. Today, Tony and I are talking about what should be admitted in trial and what shouldn't be admitted. With regard to um, being able to get around the hearsay rule 
to get records in that you need to show the judge or the jury um, or maybe not show them in order to prevail at trial. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I don't know if our listeners have heard of hearsay. I mean, I know you've heard the word hearsay, but hearsay in the law and in trial is a big exception. The court will not allow something in that's hearsay. Because if they did, it's easy to create your own evidence. I mean, all I've got to do is tell Tony what I want. That's what happened in the Kavanaugh trial. I mean, the Kavanaugh yeah, hearing. Absolutely, yeah. You've got it's one hearsay. person that's not credible because she has nothing. Nobody to substantiate what she said but her word. That's hearsay. That's hearsay. Except, except for her own words. Her own words were, this happened to me, but she couldn't prove it. And so she can't say, well, my friends saw it and they saw it because the friend wasn't there. Her saying that they saw it was hearsay. Right. And so legally, that's not credible. But, you know, in trials, it's important to object to the submission of certain records by the other side that haven't been authenticated. Mm -hmm. These records include business records that meet the definition of Texas Rule of Evidence 8036 and can include credit card statements, cardholder agreements, bank account agreements, and so forth. The easy way to avoid this objection is to show that the records have been authenticated by means of business record affidavit that complies with the Texas Rule of Evidence. And I'll just butt in right there to say that the business record affidavit is a really big deal because if you can get this, your records authenticated with an affidavit and filed in the court where the case may be, whether it's a uh, an injunction hearing or a trial or a bench trial, if you can get them in 14 days before the trial, and that's very important that you get it in 14 days ahead of time, then they're automatically going to be admissible if there's no objection. Yeah, and I think it's important to tell our listeners what authenticated means. Yes. Authenticated means that you have, uh, in, in one example, one instance, that you have someone who is the keeper of those records, and they swear that no one's touched them, uh, they haven't been altered in any way, that they've been kept in the regular course of business, and so they're authentic records that haven't been tampered with. And the example would be like in a probate trial that I just did. Um, I subpoenaed the uh, business records, all the business records, from a date certain forward um, for a particular uh, patient um, to show that uh, that that she was competent, okay, and that and that everything that it wasn't against the uh, a medical facility, but it was to show that you know uh, her treatment that she had so that she had the right treatment, that she was of a right mind, that who came to visit her, that kind of thing. So I needed real business record affidavits. I needed something that was um, that the hospital that had no dog in the fight could authenticate. And even if the hospital did have a dog in the fight, if they were actual records that were done for the purpose of that I needed, at the time that, that they were taken were just uh, were, business were just business records, right. Yeah. And it showed when people came to visit mm -hmm. and what the doctor said, and it showed what medications this one was on. And because they were subpoenaed, they were the authentic business records, and I put them into trial with a notice of um, a notice to uh, intend to use no, intend to use records. those business records with the affidavit. I filed them in court 14 days before the trial, and they were admissible. There was mm -hmm. no there was mm -hmm. no objection, and there wouldn't have been an objection even if the, the hospital had been there. It just prevented the hospital custodian of records or a person that observed them to have to come to trial and waste their time. Okay, what often happens is people tender an affidavit that either completely tracks Rule 90210, form affidavit, or basically tracks the rule, substantially conforms. These affidavits, however, are missing some basic language long held as required in all affidavits by the Supreme Court of Texas. These requirements, this is important, these requirements are to disclose that the contents are true and within the personal knowledge of the affiant or the person who's making the affidavit. They're swearing that they know that these records they are have kept. absolute personal knowledge. And, and I'll and just put a little knowledge. caveat in there. If, if um, your business record affidavit is objected to because they're saying that person really didn't have personal knowledge because they were just, you know, someone that worked in a different office or they didn't know, that's when you just subpoena that person mm -hmm. and you bring them to trial and your records will still get in, in that way because the person with personal knowledge can still authenticate those records. But this is a, a, a method of saving money, which is used a lot in labs and in uh, when you've got credit card cases. And it, it is many, many times, and we're going to talk about those cases today, that the credit card companies are the big company, or maybe even the small person that can't afford to subpoena that person to come in, um, is saving money by using the business record affidavit exception. 
Right. Yeah. Okay. Keeps the person from having to come in. There's it's uh, self authenticating evidence, swearing that it would come in. Yeah. Now um, I have a bunch of cases that I want to use as examples so our, our our listeners don't fall over in a faint. How boring this may be mm-hmm. because it really is this important and it's something that you might be able to hang your hat on. One of them is a uh, case. It's Ortega versus I guess it's Cache. I don't even know what how you pronounce it, but it was a uh, Ortega didn't pay his his uh, Bank of America credit card bill mm-hmm. uh, for a while. And this was in the 14th district, which is a Houston case. Um, even though the credit card company um, was in Denver, for whatever reason, it ended up uh, not in diversity in the federal court, it ended up in the Houston court. And uh, so this company called Cache is suing uh, Mr. Ortega for, I think it was like um, $13,000 in credit card debt that he hadn't paid for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. So this is not like somebody that's like, to me, on the up and up, he he knew he had this debt. He testified in this in the case, and it shows up in the opinion that he was aware that he had a credit card, and it had. Um, he, he admits that he owed you know close to fourteen thousand dollars on it, and uh, that he didn't recall paying it. Right. <laughs> so he knew he ran this up. Mm-hmm. There's not any question about that. Mm-hmm. But the question that came before the court is this company that was suing him, um, Cache. Uh, it's C A C H. Did they have were they the person that had that was due the the money? Mm-hmm. Because he said he had some memory of having a Bank of America card, but he never ever having a cache card, right. or ever having any interaction with them or them calling him. And so mm-hmm. when they presented the records in this case, um, he lost, and the, the the credit card company got their attorney's fees, mm-hmm. and they, they he got a judgment against him for this amount of money. And of course, we all know that people that get huge judgments against them not paying their credit card debt many times uh, file for bankruptcy because credit card debt is one of those things that can be uh, forgiven in bankruptcy if you want to go that far. Right. I don't suggest that people do that because it's usually not the right thing to do. You can usually settle with the person you owe the money and get that judgment off your record. Mm-hmm. But um, that all being said, what happened was um, this case was reversed in favor of that guy yeah. because he argued that Cache did not present records in their business record. He, he argued that the business record affidavit presented by the plaintiff, the credit card company, right. or the one that bought the debt, which was Cache, mm-hmm. did not show that they had any affiliation with his debt. I didn't charge it to them. I don't know who they are. They haven't proven that they are linked in this this record in, in any way. Mm-hmm. And the, um, the, the, the Court of Appeals said, we agree. Mm-hmm. We agree that, uh, and they forgave him of the debt, basically. And I don't know. What year how, was that case? This is 2014. Uh-huh. It wasn't that long ago. Uh-huh. Um, let me see if I've got it. Oh, you know, it's sometimes hard to read when they... It's see okay. It. I just but Yeah, it was 2000, 2013. There was another okay. 2014. Okay. But it, he argued this, what we're talking about today, that the business record affidavit that was presented as evidence by the credit card company under the uh, Texas Rules of Evidence 90210, um, they, that, that has to conform with Texas Rules of Evidence hearsay exception, which is 8036, that it mm-hmm. be... A, um, and the the actual rules are that it has to be a, um, let's see, what are the actual rules? Here it is right rules? here, okay. Rule 8036, yeah. Governing Business Records, yeah. Texas case law laying out the dual requisites and some arguments regarding the rules that you might hear about. But what are those four things that you have to have under 8036? And it's just plastered over everything. There's three very specific um, a record of an act, event, condition, opinion, or diagnosis if, it meets the five requirements of a business. Uh, is any business institution association? Nah, that's not the one I'm looking for. I'm looking for literally. It's eight o three six. Oh, here it is. Um, it's the the eight o three six provides that uh, number one, the records were made and kept in the course of a regularly conducted business activity. Mm-hmm. Number two, it was the regular practice of the business activity to create such records. Mm-hmm. Number three. The records were created at or near the time of the event recorded. And four, the records were created by or from the information transmitted by the person, by by a person with knowledge who is acting in the regular course of business. And those are the only four things that you need to, to satisfy the hearsay exception. And so everybody uses them. You can Google the affidavit form 90210 and you can get this, this form that everybody uses the problem is it changes from time to time. And what you were talking about is really important because in 2017, they changed um, in the, the, the I don't know what to say, it was a, a case law. It wasn't actually in the statute, I don't recall. 
but you may have it in the the the, the, the stuff that you're reading. But basically, uh, it the the rules changed that you have to have um, what were the two things that you said? It had the the dual. It had to be dual requisites. Their contents be true and when the, within the personal knowledge of the affiant. But that's not news. Um, yeah, but they added the that actually has to be in that affidavit, and it's so dumb because oh. they're saying the affidavit itself has to have those words in it, even though everything else says it. Those are like these these huge words that need to be in the affidavit or they can kick it out. Now, you know, courts look at it, particularly appellate courts, will look at the reasoning behind the statute, what was the legislative intent, did the parties actually follow the rule, can it come in? And that's where the detail is all very, very important. But I make sure now that all of my affidavits have, I Google the most recent one to make sure I've got that particular language in it mm-hmm. so that I, there's no question that it's going to come in. Um, another thing that um, third-party documents, to, if they need to be, to, for third-party documents to come in through organizations, they have another um, uh, a set of rules that they, they, in some of the case law, particularly the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court, when they make case law, it can't be overturned by the statute. And there was another, um, and in fact, it was in the article that you're reading, there was a, another rule that basically said that the Supreme Court, uh, uh, I, I need to find it. It basically said that the Supreme Court can't overrule, um, the, the, the Supreme Court ruling doesn't overrule a statute, but I'm going to look at that in a second because I can't remember exactly what the wording was. And it's kind of important. But, um, but anyway, um, it says third-party documents can become the business records of an organization and admissible under 8036. And these are three little side rules. Um, if they're incorporated, if incorporated and kept in the course of the testifying witnesses business and the business typically relies upon the accuracy of the content of the documents and the circumstances otherwise indicate trustworthiness. And in this particular case, um, that's important. And they actually reference, they cite a case that I wrote um, a, a published article on, mm-hmm. Tex versus Landmark. When I saw that, I'm like, oh, look, they're using um, I wrote an article that was published for the Law Review back in 2000, 2001, and uh, it gets cited everywhere now, and I, I'm seeing it again in this brief. But Yeah, it's in this too, Brownlee. Are you saying no, Brownlee? No, Q-Tex versus Landmark was a case oh, that, okay. I, that I wrote on in detail, and what that case did, just a little, a little sidebar, um, that was a case, um, it was a Houston oil company that relied upon Landmark Graphics to... Um, to develop, they used some, some, a computer processing, pro, uh, a computer program that Landmark used. Landmark used a program where um, it would identify um, for uh, seismic drilling where the best place to drill a well was. So mm-hmm. they, the program itself took data, synth, you know, synthesized it to say that based on all of this criteria from all these wells that are out there that are historic, um, we y- the best place for you to drill because we know by the it, to analyze it to, for 3D purposes, it's going to be right here for fracking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there was a flaw in the program, and they didn't drill in the right place using yeah, the program. And so right. Q-Tech sued um, Landmark, and Landmark won, and I wrote the, the, the publication on it because I thought it was wrong. I thought Landmark and, uh, should have had some fault because they used— uh, they guarantee their product, and and they're the it, ones who had the software. Yeah, the and they're, 3D they're imaging that the software, software that they're using is going to, it, you know, foolproof give you what you need. And then Qtex, you know, spent a lot of money drilling wells in the wrong place, and they found a flaw. Absolutely found a flaw in the program. There's no question about that. And so okay. I wrote an article on it and got published. And I well, was like, congratulations, well, that's awesome. And then I understand too on your case that you uh, wrote an. Uh, your answer uh, for your in your bar exam yeah. was the one that they now use, or was that- well, no, it was just a sample answer. The uh-huh. year that I took it, it was a sample answer for secure transactions mm-hmm. for banking law. Right, what we're talking about today, to some extent. Yeah, mm-hmm. a little bit. So, out of all the bar takers for that uh, month and year, um, you know, there are twelve. I mean, this is like another total sidebar, but uh, they choose. You know, law students a lot of times they're. They're trying to figure out how the, they want these questions answered yes, on the bar. Studying for the bar was like the most difficult thing I can remember doing. Yeah. Other than I'm, trying to get Jim to marry me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. So, you know, going to law school, everybody goes, oh, that's so hard. That's so hard. That's nothing. Well, it's not nothing. It's a bear. It's a monster. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
taking the bar. It's so broad. It's but so, the bar, so mm-hmm. the bar is tough. Yes. And, uh, you know, people... Oh, law school wasn't hard at all compared to the bar. Right. The bar, I know. I couldn't even use an ATM after I took the bar because I was afraid to answer the question, <laughs> yes or no. It was like I, I had a PTSD uh-huh. on, on anything that asked me a question after I took I the know. bar. I know. And attorneys get a lot of flack and, oh, they're this and they're that. I'll tell you what. But they anybody, the bar. you got to give them credit. That's that was a right. hard test. Anybody that can make it through law school and pass that bar... They're smarter than so the So even if you person. think they were a terrible attorney, they made it past that bar somehow. That's and right. The reason is not because the questions are difficult. You know the answers. It's because of the speed that you have to read it and assess. You've got like one minute to read a page and to answer, and mm-hmm. all the answers look good. Mm-hmm. You know, and there was just I just remember that that being traumatic for me. And well, that's the multiple choice. What about the twelve, thirteen? Essay yeah. questions. I didn't have a problem with the essay questions. Um, it was the multiple choices because I thought all the answers always. Well, they were good. Yeah, they were, they all, were all two good. of them were always good. Mm-hmm. And um, and then you're you're telling me this morning we were talking about our cases that um that out of all the answers that yours was one of the ones picked. And that was an, an essay. That was an essay. A, a, yeah. An example that people should ch- ch- study the bar to use. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I so couldn't that's believe that. Impressive. Yeah, I was. Next time I've got something to going on with my secure transactions. I'm coming to you. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, we got about two minutes before our next break here. Oh, and but, now, let me finish the, 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 the answer on this thing. Yeah. Um, so Ortega, um, in this Ortega case, he um, he got he won in his suit because he was able to show that uh, this company that picked up the debt from Bank of America mm-hmm. did not uh, properly authenticate their records to show that they purchased the debt from Bank of America. Mm-hmm. And so he lost ultimately in trial, but he won on appeal. So his debt was basically forgiven and he didn't have to pay the attorney's fees because he was able to argue that it wasn't trustworthy. And all Bank of America had to do was bring, I'm not sorry, cachet, had to bring a, a person in person to authenticate the records. And a lot of times these credit card companies are too lazy or they've gotten by with it for so long that they don't subpoena in somebody that can testify to the authenticity of the records showing that the the that they acquired by assignment that debt. Mm-hmm. So don't think it's gonna. You're not gonna win all. It's not, not a sure winner. But if they don't have them subpoenaed or they're not there, definitely obje- always object to the evidence coming in because you may be able to do like this guy did, who didn't even have an attorney. You know. Oh really? Yeah. He was, he was on his himself. own. I was like, Whoa. wow, good for him. Okay, well we're gonna take a break. You guys can send us your questions at questions at legalconnectionshow.com. And we're on Facebook Live right now, and you can send us your questions that way if you want. You can also voicemail us at 281-529-5862. We will be right back after the break. Have a legal question? Are you a resident of Montgomery County? Call 281-645-6344 to talk to a volunteer attorney from the Woodlands Bar Association. We answer the phones on the first Monday of every month at 281-645-6344 from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. to provide general legal information and information about legal resources to Montgomery County residents. For those of you who like your partners, your gumbo, and your music salty, well, we're here to help with the music. Julian Shea here, host of Lone Star Country Nights Thursday, your weekly dose of roots and Americana and all the music that makes this part of the country special. We stir in Western Swing, Honky Tonk, Zydeco, Texas Blues, Outlaw Country, and put a pinch of red dirt, and then we smoke it over a slow fire. Then listen to the results Thursday nights on Conroe's 104.5 and 106.1 and worldwide at IRLoneStar.com. Lone Star Community Radio is looking for those who are interested in hosting their own talk show. With monthly and weekly slots available on Conroe's FM 104.5, 106.1, and on IRLoneStar.com. Start your own podcast, create your first YouTube channel, and be on TV. Contact Lone Star Community Radio online at IRLoneStar.com or call the station message line at 936 936- Six four seven three seven seven six. Good afternoon and welcome back to The Legal Connection. Tony and I are here talking about how to get records in, in uh, your court case or your trial or how to keep them out. 
And you can do it as a layperson, even without an attorney, as we said right before the break. Um, don't just go in there, and most people that will represent themselves in court are usually mavericks, I've discovered, mm-hmm. because they'll come to me after the fact, you know, to try to help them out with appeal, or they'll, before they go in, um, it's not the kind of thing that um, I want to charge them for, because I think they can do it on their own if they've got some snap. And they go in there and, you know, give them a little, um, uh, a real brief kind of, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to say refresher course, they've never done it before, but if I give them some guidelines and they stick to it, um, you can prevail, because justice will prevail, I mean, the courts are pretty fair. If you can get the evidence in and you can state your case, even if it's, you know, David versus Goliath, um, you, you should do okay. And the, the problem is that Goliaths have, you know, big, expensive attorneys um, fighting their cases for them. But I'll tell you what, those big, expensive attorneys are not as interested in your case as you are. And, uh, and they make a lot of mistakes. That's true. And uh, they'll miss a lot of things. And you can come out um, with justice uh, on your side, provided that, that you don't just give in, but just fight the good fight, you know, and, and pray a lot too. I think there's a lot of there's a lot to prayer. <laughs> now, um, the, the, what we had talked about a little bit before our break was um, the trustworthiness uh, kind of prong in the in in one of the uh, ways that the court evaluates the dual requisite, um, right? And and the re, the what the trustworthiness. Um, and I'm going to read a little bit on this one article that what that really means. Um, it has to do with whether or not um, the person that's authenticated the records, it can be trusted. And, and the example that they give in this one case is that um, is, is in this, they, they use the example in this case that there was a, a medical malpractice case and the doctor, I would take that back. It was an 18 wheeler case. Um, a doc, they had presented records that, um, that, and had gone on for a long time that 10 years before they didn't have any records authenticating the actual medical treatment, the mm-hmm. diagnosis. And that is permitted under uh, in the affidavits. And those are the type of medical records that you would be able to produce with a business record affidavit. After mm-hmm. 10 years, where's the doctor going to be? The same people don't work there. Right. So that's why it should come in under these circumstances. In this case, a, um, a doctor, uh, they, the records were subpoenaed, but the only thing that they received was one record from a doctor who basically wrote an opinion without any support that said, I believe that, um, you know, I believe after reviewing the records that um, this particular client was 10% impaired and that, um, that, that whatever the case may be, the doctor was just writing a conclusory opinion in one letter. Right. It wasn't the actual business records, but they tried to claim that as a business record. Granted, this was a doctor that wrote it. Granted, he did work for the hospital that did the, the, the work or didn't do the work for whatever reason. He only had one page. That's not trustworthy. Mm-mm. A doctor that's having a, they didn't have anything to support that 10%. Right. He should have said, based on the records that are attached, the 100 pages or the hospital records, I've identified here, this excerpt, this excerpt, this one, that it shows that he was at least 10% impaired or whatever the case may be, whatever his conclusion was, his, a real opinion based on real facts. It's not trustworthy to have somebody that may have been paid off someone that really didn't know, someone that just kind of brushed off and wrote one little statement, that is not trustworthy. And that's where the trustworthiness comes in. If you compile a set of records that's 100 pages and you've got authentication, you know, it's authentic, that those records that you've attached, whether or not they want to say that the doctor's opinion is conclusory, maybe that one thing will be rejected. Mm -hmm. But if you've got records that substantiate what you're trying to show. Mm-hmm. And um, particularly if you have somebody come in that testifies to the, authentic- the authenticity of those particular records, whatever it may be, credit mm-hmm. card debt, medical records, mm-hmm. they should come in because that's, that, that's the kind of record that this is saying is not hearsay because you're actually asking it to come in because maybe the person is not there anymore. Right. Uh, and that would be another hearsay exception. But that's the reason that they have this, not to say that one, a one, a pers- a one record, they're, they're, they're saying the trustworthiness prong should be uh, evaluated by the court relative to what is trying to be made trustworthy. And certainly something's not going to be trustworthy in every situation is going to be different if one person says that it is. And I go straight back to the Kavanaugh case. One person, Dr. Ford, said this is the way it is. That does not make it trustworthy without supporting documentation. It makes it not credible, and therefore it should not be admitted. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. And I think a lot of people didn't really understand about the whole credibility of that. I mean, she didn't know the year. Oh, my gosh. uh, She didn't know the the place. She didn't know how she got there. She didn't know how she got home. Right. 
And uh, so, you know, it's not that something did or didn't happen to her. It's that there was no way to prove for that this anyone. Did. Right. I mean, Tony, I could say you did blah, 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 blah. And, I mean, we have a constitutional and right. if it was nice, I'd agree with you. Right. <laughs> we have a constitutional right to confront our accuser. Yes. But if our accuser comes at us and there's absolutely no way right. we can prove I wasn't in the country or I was at dinner with my grandparents. Yes. Or I was, then you can't defend yourself. And, but then you actually have, what we what they had in that case, because kind of go, I'm not on a, a big tangent here, but. Uh, Fox because News we was, could. Uh, yes, Fox News was able to get um, the Senate uh, committee's letter from Ford's ex-boyfriend, which they published, and um, it basically said he he rebutted every uh, most of the things that she said. She's not yeah. afraid of flying. She was on propeller planes. She cheated on me. She used my credit cards, and after I'd taken her off of them, and then she said she didn't, and then so she's a liar, and yeah. then she came clean when she thought I was going to call the police on her, right. and um, she wasn't afraid of small spaces, and uh, and uh, she actually knew this woman uh, that she helped with her psychology background to pass well, a polygraph. So All this stuff rebuts it. That's what you're saying. Is that, that should have come in. Why wasn't that himself? brought? I mean, that couldn't have been brought in because it was one piece of paper from one guy, and this wasn't a trial. It was just a confirmation hearing. But I'm saying that her testimony alone, had it been a real trial, with that sort of rebutta- rebuttable evidence, would have shown that her testimony wasn't was trustworthy. Not credible. That's right. And, wasn't trustworthy. Right. And so that is why for this particular issue that we're talking about today, why those kind of things, uh, trustworthiness should always, and, and whether crucial. a document or statement is true needs to be supported with documents. And if it can be, then it, if it meets the requirements by this rule, then it should come in for all the reasons that we were just talking about. And we have another case, and it was another, um, this one is a, um, it was a murder case, Berlanga versus State, and this actually came out of, I don't know if it was the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, out of San Antonio, but it was another case that had to do with authentication of records. And in this particular case, um, this guy was convicted of murder, and there was a lot of information to substantiate that there was a gun, there was just basically a smoking gun, mm-hmm. and, um, and and various other things. And so he, he, on appeal, he had very little to work with. And, of course, he was going to be in you know, prison for the rest of his life. Okay. So he argued that the um, medical examiner's report was not, pro- was not pro- was prop- improperly admitted under this affidavit of business record rule because um, it was improper because the, she was not the actual medical examiner. Another medical examiner was. And so since she didn't have personal knowledge, it should have been kicked out, and therefore they couldn't prove that this guy actually died from a gunshot room. It could have been he died of something else. Right. And it was a a good argument, but it completely failed. Oh, it did. (laughs) Because um, the medical examiner was actually there that worked in the office, and she was the custodian of records. Okay. And um, justice was done because she was able to meet all of the requirements that with supporting documentation of the autopsy done by her colleague, Right. That it what these records were authentic, so it was a good try, but it was you know kind of a lame argument. Um, he had basically at the, 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 the at this particular scene, he had a gun. The people had gunshot wounds and were dead. <laughs> so. Well, but I think that case really speaks to the procedure that goes on in all these with this forensic evidence. The, all the, these uh, medical examiners just have their associates doing things, mm-hmm. and then they sign off on it and go, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I did that. I looked at that when they mm-hmm. never really did. But the truth is a lot of times that is a legitimate argument because they didn't look at the records, and the records don't support That's what I'm saying. What, they do not support uh-huh. the outcome. And be- they so, have not gone into the detail to see right. what person really died. Yeah, they just sign off on this stuff. And medical examiners, their licenses, and we'll do another show on this, have been revoked yeah. because of the number of times that they've been had faulty medical exams, or yeah. maybe that they were just the local uh, medical guy, you know, mm-hmm. the town, you know, physician, and they knew the person that was accusing or accusing, which you know which way it went. So again, the records have to be properly authenticated. And if the records support that can not even a conclusion, that opinion that our diagnosis, then yes, they should be let in. That's the whole point. And the whole true and within my personal knowledge thing. I mean, the person conducting the medical examination needs to be a qualified expert on with the ability to uh, determine the real uh, underlying. We have another case where um, it doesn't have to have that person for it to be admitted to have to actually have been there to have witnessed it, to observed it. If they have personal knowledge that the records were a part of that uh, of that um, institution or corporation 
or that medical office or whatever, mm -hmm. um, if they if they can prove that that was they were kept in the regular course of business, even if they didn't have knowledge and they're the custodian, they will come in. Because we have another credit card uh, case, and uh, this one is Jenkins versus Cache. It doesn't happen. It was the same company, which must buy all of Bank of America and chase credit card debt and then sue people for it because that's what they do. Yeah, that's what happens. Um, in this particular case, they they were able to get the, the credit, the records admitted because they they there was no proof that they weren't authentic. So okay. in, in that particular case, they did lose. Um, the guy had charged up, I don't know. Um, now, who lost? I'm sorry. Uh, Jenkins actually tried the same argument in their case. Right. Against the same company, Cache. Okay. And this one was also in the 14th Court of Appeals in 2014. Uh -huh. And, um, uh, oh, I'm wrong. This is this In this particular case, the same thing happened again. I, uh, so, uh, wipe that. Um, in this particular case, Cache lost again. <laughs> Cache's losing right and because left. Because of the authentication uh, of the record? Because um, they didn't, they weren't able to, they weren't able to authenticate their records because they couldn't prove that, um, that Cache actually uh, was the company that bought the credit card debt. Well, you know, Tony, I remember studying about all this stuff, and we're going to take a quick break here, but a lot of those underlying things is when the secondary credit creditor companies purchase from Bank One or whichever bank, these bundled loans that have are in default, mm -hmm. they don't get the supporting documentation. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the right. times, that's the reason they fail is because they didn't get the actual promissory note. All they got was some loan information or something. But we're going to take a quick break. Mm -hmm. When we come back, we're going to wrap up our discussion on uh, business records affidavit. We'll be right back, guys. Lone Star Community Radio is looking for those who are interested in hosting their own talk show. With monthly and weekly slots available on Conroe's FM 104.5, 106.1, and on IRLoneStar.com. Start your own podcast, create your first YouTube channel, and be on TV. Contact Lone Star Community Radio online at IRLoneStar.com or call the station message line at 936 6473776 An estimated 1 in 10 births will result in a neonatal intensive care stay also known as the NICU. Overnight, a family can find themselves and their newborn baby in a critical situation. The Mila Foundation financially and spiritually assists families in need. If you would like to volunteer or become a monthly sponsor, please visit us at www.themilafoundation.org. Again, that's www.themilafoundation.org, because every life matters. Hey, Montgomery County and online listeners. Thank you so very much for checking out Jazzy Vibes with Soul. What? You haven't done so yet? Well, you've got to tune in. Hi, I am the host of Jazzy Vibes with Soul, Miss C.C. Holmes, and I invite you to check us out every Friday and Saturday from 7 until 9 p.m., where you will get the best in old-school R&B and, of course, a little smooth jazz to make it jazzy. So tune in. That's right, tune in. Every Friday and Saturday right here on Conroe's 104.5 and 106.1 FM or worldwide at IRLongStar.com. Welcome back to The Legal Connection with Tony and Cheryl. We, uh, I want to remind you that you can email us your questions at questions at legalconnectionshow.com. You can watch us and listen to us live and send us live questions on Facebook. Uh, it's uh, facebook.com slash legalconnectionshow. So we are talking about how to get your records in or keep your records out. And, um, uh, yeah, I've got a kind of important case that, uh, because we do a lot of DWIs and we do a lot of drug cases, and uh -huh. uh, there's all kinds of ways to get something to to try to get your case reversed once you're convicted. And um, there's a case, it's Burris versus State. Uh, it was in 2014, and it was in Texarkana, but the same um, law applies in all the jurisdictions. And, right. and basically, in this case, uh, the defendants were convicted of manufacturing methamphetamine in a quantity between one and four grams, and the court found that it was proper and they didn't overturn it. Um, the argument was that the lab records that were produced by the state, the argument to try to get it overturned, were, were not authenticated. And so I'm going to read the passage from this, and it actually comes from a Supreme 
the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals um, case, which will help our listeners, and that is the, the highest ca- court criminal in court, te- in criminal court in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this particular case, what, how they showed that it was okay for these records to come in, they they basically say that a DPS laboratory is a uniquely litigious and prosecuted-oriented environment. This is the argument that the methamphetamine uh, producers use. Uh-huh. They're saying that the lab is aligned with the state. The court noted that the DPS laboratory reports bore insignia, the reports bore the insignia of the state of Texas and law enforcement, suggesting the proper records were generated in an adversarial contest. In, in other words, aligned with the state. Yeah. Um, in the United States, uh, in a, in a Supreme Court case, uh, records were compiled of license plate numbers on vehicles passing through a border station were deemed not to have been collected in an adversarial se- setting, and, and nothing about the collection procedure had been seen as indicating a lack of trustworthiness. Mm-hmm. So in other words, just because it helped the case did not ma- make it lack, it wasn't trustworthy authenticity. They just used these records because it helped support their case. The records are the license plate. Right, but, and so that's but- what the state was saying, look, we can use these because they weren't taken because we're going to be in court, although they could have been used for court, and they probably would be used in court. Mm-hmm. We're taking them because this is what we do. This is just how we collected them, right? Right. Uh, it says, in this situation, in, in the situation in the drug case, there was no indication that the company that collected the records of the person's buying pseudo, uh, whatever it is, pseudo-ephrodine. Ephedrine, <laughs> pseudo-ephedrine. Was associated with law enforcement or had records that were gathered in any part uh, for the adversarial process. And to go on, this is what they argued. Among the three conspirators, they had 7.2 grams of this pseudo-ephedrine. Pseudo-ephedrine. Thank goodness I don't do these. I, I, I think that's pseudofed. I think that's yeah, what they buy over the yeah. counter at because Walgreens or something. Moore testified that he had spoken to the chemist, and I don't know who Moore was in this, and that the actual meth cooks that these parties had told him that the... Uh, Sudafed, let's just call it that, yeah. uh, would yield about half its weight in methamphetamine. And they basically say, I talked to the chemist who told me what they see, and I've talked to actual meth cooks. I've interviewed numerous meth cooks, and almost all of them tell you the same thing. Um, what the yield is from a certain amount of uh, Sudafed, uh, what you can get on your finished product. And um, Basically, Burns and the uh, uh, I should probably sure that we're kind of running out of time on this. Uh, yeah, we have Burns, like forty-five seconds. Okay, but basically, they said that they were using it for their allergies, and the court said, uh, "Yeah, that's crap," because um, we are, we have the records that show that through these lab records that we're letting in, the amount that you purchased was not for allergies. You were yeah. using it for exactly what you were arrested for, and their conviction stuck. So uh, they tried to get to show that. The state was aligned and it didn't work. Well, you know, I know. I just want to throw this in. I know that you can get an independent lab to look at stuff. Yes. So we're going to wrap it up. We want to remind you guys to serve, serve God by serving others and get an independent expert in a second opinion That's if right. you question that. Examine your meth or whatever. Yeah. I listen to his Tuesdays, 12 to 1, 104.5, 106.1, Conroe's FM, or IRLoneStar.com on Google Play and iTunes. Download us. We'll be here next week, guys. Y'all have a great week. Bye. Bye.